Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Joe Bagos. He is the filmmaker behind Almost Human, The Mind's Eye, Bliss, and VFW. His latest film, the holiday horror Christmas Bloody Christmas, is currently streaming now on Shudder. Welcome to the show, Joe. How's it going? Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. So one of the things that I'm, I'm always fascinated with is how filmmakers got into making movies. So what what is your what was your path to making uh, your 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 films? It's one of those things where I just can't really remember a time when I didn't like want to be a filmmaker. I, I always okay. wanted to be an actor when I was like really young because I thought that like they just made the shit up in front of the camera and I was like seven. But at some point, I think it was uh, even from Dust Till Dawn or Desperado, two movies I was obsessed with as a kid, like really young kid. I saw Rob Rodriguez's name like as editor and director and writer and, and stuff like that and producer. And I was like... And then James Cameron, same thing. So I started to like realize what those people did. And then, you know, like when I was around, when I started to realize that I was like, well, I want to go to film school. And, you know, I started looking up film schools and then I transitioned into just making movies when I was like 12 or 13, you know, mm. um, for like 200 bucks. I got it, you know, my big Christmas present. I want a camera and I started shooting stuff. And um, I also started getting into or realizing like, the the kind of way that movies like bad taste and evil dead and el mariachi were made because dvds started coming out i was like watching yeah. those things and so it was like this weird transitional period where you know from like age seven to 13 um i did that and then when i was like 13 i just started making movies and i met josh ethier who's produced uh all my movies with me um we met when we were like 14 or 15 it's kind of just a blur now too um and he was a musician and he had like, he just knew rhythm stuff, he knew computer program shit that I didn't know or care or anything about. So he came in and we just became friends because of our mutual interests. And we kind of like, 
he started making movies with me and it was just me and him making movies together. And like, we kind of assumed what positions we were good at. And then more and more people started coming into the fold. And like, I realized that, you know, maybe writing wasn't my strong point, you know, like making stuff was and my family, you know, I'm not like, I'm not from a wealthy family or anything. I'm very middle-class. So I couldn't really afford any good film schools and I hate school anyway. So, and I hate writing. No, I don't hate writing, but I know I'm not like a, a killer writer. I was never going to finish a screenplay or, or sell a screenplay. Sorry, not finish. So my thing was always like, all right, we just got to keep making shorts until we're good enough to make a feature for like no money. And we just keep working towards that. And we're going to move to LA right when we get out of high school, go to LA. Like, you know, we just had, you know, we just loved the whole idea of all of that stuff. And that was our goal. And we had like this you know, group of six people, you know, the effects guy, we're all going to move. Me and Josh were just continuing. We tried making a feature like when we were in senior in high school, didn't get finished, thankfully, but we just kept grinding away and we graduated. Um, Save worked fucking shit construction jobs that paid good money, but you needed no education for saved up some money for a couple of years and actually drove out to LA when we were like 20. All of our other friends had fallen by the wayside and they're like, you know, good luck sleeping on a couch. So yeah, me and Josh came out here, shared a one bedroom for a couple of years, kept making shorts, took internships. I interned at Stuart Gordon, you know, for free doing like everything oh, wow. in my regular job, like riding my bike around. Josh uh, interned for a working editor who was really good. And we just got to a point where like we started seeing or becoming friends with other filmmakers and going to festivals and seeing some of the low budget, really low budget horror movies that were getting bought for profit and released. And we were like, I think it's our time. So we got a bunch of credit cards <laughs> and um, drove, drove back to our hometown. We had like $25,000, $26,000 in credit limit between both of us and uh, shot Almost Human in our hometown, which looks a lot like Maine. Got it in the can. We had $19 left to spend when we drove back to LA and uh, we cut the movie, used the edit to try and raise, you know, 10, 15 grand to finish the movie, kept working our shit jobs, uh, shopping the movie around and it just got into the right hands and played at Toronto Film Festival, which interestingly enough, you know, listened to the Cabin Fever commentary as a kid, Eli Roth's like, Cabin Fever got into, I was a nobody, Cabin Fever got into Toronto Midnight Madness. And then you look and it's like, that's where Bad Taste premiered, Hellraiser premiered, uh, Hard Boiled premiered, and it's like Saw premiered at fucking Cabin Fever. So to me, that was always like, oh, and somehow Colin Geddes, who programs the midnight movies that are used to for like 30 years, got his hands on the movie, which is a testament to him because that means they actually watch fucking right. everything because i had no connections and this motherfucker watched my 40 something thousand dollar movie picked it for toronto with the green inferno eli's big return to horror and right. Lucky movie and it was like oh my fucking god and i was like 24 and went to toronto and you know met eli and met lucky and they like it was just this really big whirlwind but you know i i put my it was this weird thing where it's like this is what i'm gonna fucking do and i just built towards that for 10 years and like somehow everything fell in the right place at the right time and it was, yeah, it was really interesting. And then from there, you know, I didn't really take the route to, oh, I want, you know, what's the next open directing job I can get? I, I very much was like, I'm going to make a telekinetic revenge movie, um, you know, and it just sounded so cool to me. I never wanted to like back down from that. So again, it was almost like starting over right to go and put together the money from like 18 different investors because nobody wanted me to make the movie the way I wanted to do it. Put that money together, made that movie for, you know, very low budget. Um, then went back and had to make bliss for even less money, uh, because it's just the, you know, private equity that allows you to do what you want is really hard to come by. You know, you usually have to go to a production company or something like that, who are going to kind of take over at the producers. I don't want to do that. I don't need that. And I don't like that. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's so, it's so weird because like bliss is my, was my introduction to, to your, your films. And it was my, one of my favorite movies might've been my favorite movie of that year. Cause it just, it was like. 
it's it was so rock it was so gritty and grungy and just i don't know it was it was different than anything else i was seeing that year and to be honest uh dora madison mad madison sorry dora madison is is just fire in that movie oh yeah she's amazing you know i think that the what you're the vibe you're talking about from that movie i mean you know that's very much like the world that i live in and you know Mm -hmm. like i'm just you know i'm always at fucking metal clubs i'm up all night like i sleep all day it's just work at night too i mean you know i'm not a fucking uh washed up but um it's just kind of like how i live in like after mind's eye it was so hard to find money for something and also like i had done this thing with my first two movies where i didn't have a lot of life experience so they were honestly just like well i'm gonna make my john carpenter movie and i'm gonna make my david Cronenberg movie which you know i was young and that was kind of how i figured out how to make movies but i didn't mm-hmm. have a lot of and after mind's eye and you know making those movies i did actually like between mind's eye and bliss i had so much personal shit that was horrible happen and i also mm-hmm. was having a lot of trouble making another movie and i was like going broke and i was maybe gonna have to like go back and get another like go back to whatever i was doing before and it was just this really weird time and i was in a really horrible space and i'm like you know what i'm just gonna fucking put it all out there i'm gonna put my brain on film i'm in this like tough position where everything's like kind of crumbling down around me but and i want to make a movie to reflect that you know i was doing a ton of like a lot of hallucinogenic drugs at the time because of all the negative stuff, but also just to like try and trigger my, my creativity. And I was like, I'm just going to fucking write this movie and it's going to be really boring to be a dude writing a screenplay in an apartment. So how about I have a chicken downtown LA who's doing a massive giant painting. Cause I it's kind of the same art world. And I just mm-hmm. spit it out at um, literally almost, I was going to be like, if I have to make this for 20 grand in my apartment, I will. Um, but I was able to find a couple hundred grand to make it. And uh, I auditioned people for it. And Dora came in who I wasn't familiar with, but she was, in Friday Night Lights for the whole show and in like all this sitcom stuff and not sitcom, but like, you know, network TV stuff. And she was really looking to break out of that, like whatever Mm -hmm. she break out of that, just like I was like, it's like, I want to break out of this rut of not doing anything. And also like being known as this guy who only makes homages. I want to show you my fucking, all right, you want to see my brain motherfuckers here. (laughs) Here we go. And like, so me and her kind of very much became like this organism that was like mutating through the production because we have so much, we had so much kind of like, fuck it we're just putting it all on the table i don't care and you know i thought that people i thought i actually thought people were gonna be pissed at the movie just because of kind of like especially at that time in 2018 it was a really like kind of touchy time and i'm like and it was like should i make a really hardcore exploitation sex drug horror movie you know what fuck it i don't care i'm you know i I have a pure sense of how i'm gonna do it i'm not i'm not truly making something to exploit this i'm truly making something that and i think that that purity actually came out and people recognize that thankfully yeah that i mean that's what drew me to it too was the i mean you uh, what you're saying makes perfect sense there's definitely like uh the theme of like exploitation like that kind of grindhouse type film from like the 70s but there's also like it's it's saying stuff about art and kind of destructive power that of like obsession and i just i don't know that's what really spoke to me when i saw it back in geez 2018 it seems forever ago now yeah i mean yeah. it's hard to say because this movie just like i just finished this movie a couple months ago and you know i always need time away but i think bliss is definitely my favorite and like most personal movie and you know i it's so funny because a lot of i have a lot of friends and collaborators who are like you know you gotta make another movie like bliss and it's like uh, i that means my life has to be horrible for (laughs) it's like see my life i was in a good spirit when i wrote this so now it's everybody partying and having fun and then the killer robot shows up like i can't you know what i mean it's like now because i write movies from much more of a personal lens it is very kind of indicative of where i am in life so you know maybe if this movie bombs and i can't make anything for a year and a half we'll get another bliss but uh i don't want that for you though (laughs) As much as I would love another bliss, I don't want that for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, life goes through ups and downs. So my life's yeah. not going to be a gravy forever. Uh, you know, so next time um, I'm in a, I'm in a 
valley i'm gonna fucking pound out another angry um (laughs) (laughs) well okay so we're talking about christmas bloody christmas can you just tell our listeners a little bit about what the movie is yeah it's a um grungy neon soaked uh 16 millimeter killer robot movie uh set in christmas it's a really really sleazy yuletide yarn (laughs) just straight up fucking you know slasher it's like a hangout movie meets a slasher with a fucking killer robot thrown in and a pornographic array of uh sensation and atmosphere there's you know thick hot fog haze hell yeah just every single aspect of the movie is over sensationalized and um yeah it's just a fun hangout crazy movie type of movie i wish i could have seen for 20 years I got to say, uh, I this was a pure accident, but I ended up seeing it with, as like kind of almost a double feature at, with Gremlins. And I got to say it worked 100 percent. Like this definitely feels like the kind of, you know, filthy, violent, sleazy companion piece to small town. The second movie in the double, if we were to line them up. Uh, uh, it's a nice, uh, nice cap for sure. Yeah. um so i you know when i'm one thing that is like stopped jumped out at me every single time i look at your films is a lot of um the same people get involved is it sort of like a big family reunion every time you make a film yeah um you know making movies is so fucking hard it's it's fun i love it but i mean there is it it is a hard thing especially you know when i'm tight schedule and all that so like surrounding yourself with people that uh you enjoy being around and who are also talented is kind of the key and you know i like to do i definitely like having the same people which also has been um something i've had to face you know as only a couple times but like you know as you get bigger budgets for me it's like the crew you know the more we work together the more we become this beast that all make each other look better you know um i'm talking crew and cast wise i use a lot of the same crew in all my movies and it's like the shorthand you have with those people allows you both to do better work Mm -hmm. and you know each other more and you trust each other more and um growing together as artists i think is a lot more beneficial than like you know finding you know i know a lot of people in this business like they'll get a bigger budget and then suddenly it's like well i'm gonna now get these people are better it's like well want to get the people who help make you where you are and now they have the ability to fire off like that too you know, I made a movie before I made one movie that I didn't write or produce. And it was like a fight to get any of my crew. And it's like, well, you want to hire me to direct, but you're hiring my crew too. And like, it, you know, I eventually mm-hmm. did get a bunch of them and it made a huge difference. But like, uh, it's the same thing with actors. And I just want to keep bringing people every time more and more until like now I don't have to actively find new people. You know, maybe it's nice mm-hmm. to bring in a couple of new actors, but I'd love to have the same crew every time. And I'd love to have the same stable of actors. And like on Christmas, Bloody Christmas, everybody besides Riley and Sam um, were somebody was somebody I'd worked with before or I knew on a personal level that I had, for all intents and purposes, written the role for. And I always knew that I would try and cast uh, Tori and uh, Robbie's role, but everybody else was like peppered in. And now Sam and Riley for, you know, hopefully until they get sick of me will now be written into all my other movies, too, um, and just keep an ensemble. You mentioned you mentioned Riley and she like. She, I, I had such a crush on her. It was like she just is is so good in this movie. She was like, I, I was thinking back to in high school, like she would have been that cool, that cool uh, alt chick that I would have been like puppy dog eyes and like falling around school because she just is so. I, she's just so effortlessly cool in this movie. Yeah, yeah, she's great. And um, as a testament to her as an actress, she's actually nothing like the character whatsoever. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is when I saw the audition, um, you know, I saw tons of audition, auditions, but, uh, you know, she, one of the uh, scenes that I gave the actors in the audition was the Pet Cemetery 2 scene. And she like had so much conviction in that scene. And it was like, that was a big thing to me. Is it like, can this actress, can any of these actors convince me to feasibly watch Pet Cemetery 2? <laughs> so like, you know, she had this great, 
fire behind that and then going into the band stuff although she made one you know she's wearing a van halen 1984 shirt in our edition even though her character shit talks 1984 so that was my first part i was like no that's interesting but um uh she was fucking amazing at that and then when we did our follow-up uh i like to riff a lot and i like to allow the actors to help me like we collaborate and kind of you know we can organically build the scene so i let her i was like you know i'll play robbie uh in this and i want you to riff with me and she started riffing stuff that was like sounded like i would have written it and we had never met before. So, I mean, she was just so fucking good. And I could tell she was going to uh, be really great in the role. And once I found the caster, you know, we started talking. And it turns out, like, she doesn't listen to any of that music, never watches horror movies, none of that stuff. Wow. So, like, you know, that was a testament to her. And then another testament to her as an actress is she completely immersed herself in the character and like i made like a 20 hour playlist for her that that's what she listened to she fucking watched every single movie that's referenced so this poor girl who doesn't watch horror movies makes her fiance sit down and do a double feature of blair with two and uh pet cemetery two and i was like all right you're fucking committed this i was i was gonna ask because she has some hot takes in this movie about uh book of shadows in particular and nightmare on elm street six um what are 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 those favorites of yours uh almost all of her uh, uh, pop culture opinions are mine okay. um but for uh, nightmare on elm street 6 is not that's actually a dig at a, a friend of mine who has that opinion that we all consistently mock him and that was like my joke to him but i do love blair witch 2 i do love pet cemetery 2 and hellraiser 3 is possibly my favorite sequel uh and load uh sucks uh metallica load sucks <laughs> <laughs> i do like super unknown though but super unknown i had to throw in there because of you know just the dichotomy of the situation but um I agree with the other ones. And Covenant isn't my favorite Alien installment. I wish I said Resurrection because that probably would have elicited the same laugh. (laughs) Taking out Aliens is arguably the best sequel. Um, So I don't know. Absolutely. But yeah, she's very much an extension of me. And I I was telling uh, Mary Beth in um, an interview we did earlier that uh, I – all my friends get the Pet Cemetery 2 spiel where I'm like, we haven't seen Pet Cemetery 2. And I'm fucking – and, you know, I've – turned a lot of people onto pet cemetery too and now it's my you know my duty every single person in the world who watches this movie is going to have to hear my pet cemetery two spiel and hopefully uh seek it out <laughs> i you know i saw it for the first time uh i want to say it was last year yeah i think it was last year i saw it for the first time and it it's surprisingly entertaining it is it's 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 good better than it has any right to be I, w- I would just say what was i was like about to go into it and like just say the things <laughs> in the movie just because it's like in my book <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well i so, you know, we talked about Christmas, Bloody Christmas, but I want to hear more about you and your introduction to horror when you were younger. Do you remember the first horror movie you ever saw? I don't because um, it's one of those things that's like I just have this early memory of having seen these movies and they're in my life because uh, my parents had me when they were in uh, high school. So I was um, okay. very much, uh, you know, an accidental baby. But like when I was like three or four, uh, my parents are very cool like they have great taste and this was like the height of the vhs era so there would be tons of tapes that had you know four or five movies on them the long plays that they would tape off hbo and shit and as like a four-year-old who would get out of bed at 4 30 in the morning i just learned to fucking use the vcr so like you know drop dead fred which is one of my favorite movies as a kid was the first movie on a vhs tape that was followed by the terminator and then basket case and then christine So, like, I would pop this in to watch Drop Dead Fred, and then the movies would just play. So, like, I have this memory of Phantasm 2, not 1. Phantasm 2, for some reason, I watched, like, super young, and that was, like, my introduction to Phantasm. So, like, Phantasm 2, Basket Case, Pet Cemetery, Christine, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, 1 a little bit. 2, for some reason, was the first one. But, like, those in the Terminator, which you consider harmony, but, like, those are the, like, I just remember those always kind of being in the rotation. And they're, like, Christine and RoboCop 
it was none of those movies really scared me. I think I was just so numb to it. But for some reason, there was this thing about RoboCop as a kid when I was like four or five that that almost shocked me or scared me or made me feel uneasy in a way because of the violence. So like, that was a violence, actually, like uh, like when Murphy gets his hand shot and I'm like five. I'm like, why does this feel so dirty? <laughs> yeah, that that is that is quite a movie to see, especially at that young of age, because it's a uh, it's it's incredibly violent. Every time I watch it, cause I don't I don't typically go to see that movie but like when i do i'm always taken back by like how in your face it is with all the blood and guts yeah and it's weird because when i was that age like there was a robocop cartoon there was like a rambo cartoon mm-hmm. and like all these r-rated franchises were like canonized for kids so to me and maybe my parents i don't know they like just just like you know they had seen robocop but to them it's like a guy in a suit going around and you know maybe they're more desensitized to the violence but yeah like that scene where murphy's killed is a fight i'm like this is the most shocking thing i've ever fucking seen um so yeah, it, yeah, it's been this weird thing, and then like I think that's why I was so obsessed with horror because I became so desensationalized at a young age that like mm. I'm I just was always seeking out things, and then you know my dad on Friday nights we would just go to the video store and it's like three movies for ninety nine cents, and he'd always let me pick one out, and I'd always pick it based on the cover art, and he loved horror movies too, and um yeah, so it was always just like it, it, it's it kind of sucks because I. Oh, I don't know if it sucks, but like by the time I was a teenager, I didn't really have any like classics to watch anymore. So it's been like this hard thing now growing up where there's not a lot of whole great, great horror movies coming out. And I've also kind of like watched a lot of the great ones. So like whenever I do make a discovery, it's so special to me. Do you have an example of one of those discoveries that have like gotten to you recently, like a movie that scared you or or surprised you, a horror movie specifically? Um, Yeah, scare. I don't know if. I've never really been scared by anything, but one of the movies that I've watched recently that like I've just put on to everybody, um, I guess is maybe Death Game is the most recent one, which is actually what uh, Eli Roth uh, remade for Knock Knock. And um, <sighs> Groundhouse Releasing just put out Death Game and it was in the yes. 70s. Sissy Spacek and Bill Paxton are like on the art crew. It's but like and Peter Trainer was a production designer, but like it has this it, it fucking is so amazingly done. It feels like a creep show segment in the third act and like mm. just this widescreen photography and like it just looks and feels so lush and good. And like, you know, the it makes knock knock look like, you know, very a very uh two thousand esque thriller compared to this. But that's a movie that I'm like, I got the Blu-ray from Grindhouse releasing. Um I saw it earlier uh when they were restoring it and like I'm just like pushing it on everybody and it's like it, it's definitely a horror thriller movie. But like that's one recently where I'm like, whoa. And I'm just glad I didn't see it when I was a kid because part of it is like the widescreen photography and the way it looks and there just hasn't mm-hmm. been any VHSs for a really long time. So that's definitely one of the more uh recent ones I've been pushing on absolutely everybody I fucking know. Hell yeah. That's cool. I don't know if there's like any like actual straight up like horror horror movies I've seen in the past couple of years that like to me were discoveries. I just watched a movie Soul Survivor on Shudder that I'd never seen. Um that was really strong, uh, that I'd actually never heard of. Uh it's almost like a final destination-esque kind of thing where a girl dodges death and then she's having all these hallucinations but it's not like a classic but it's something i was like oh i haven't even heard of this until a couple months ago and it's really fucking strong yeah i have that on blu-ray somewhere i haven't watched it yet but i, I do have it somewhere in this room uh yeah. on blu-ray because when i heard that it was sort of like a um like a precursor to final destination i was like well, okay well i can't remember who put it out someone put out a blu-ray of it and yeah it's like, okay, yeah. i'm gonna get it yeah it's it's solid solid i'd recommend watching it pretty soon that's cool cool so okay but Joe, what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? Uh, the 1994 techno horror, soon to be classic, Brain Scan. Um, one of my favorite movies growing up and one of my most watched movies growing up. Ooh, okay. So 
Here's a quick synopsis from IMDb, everybody. Um, a teenager is part of an interactive video game where he kills innocent victims. Later, the murders become real. Uh, uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, Joe, I want to hear about the first time you saw this movie and why it is your Scarred for Life pick and how it has affected you growing up. Yeah, I saw this right when it came out on VHS. So probably, I know the movie came out in 94 theatrically, but it was probably around there. I, as a young child who at this point had already watched Pet Cemetery 2 a ton, um, that was one of those movies that was on VHS and had like, you know, I just love the soundtrack and uh, all that. And Terminator 2 was my favorite movie. So as an, you know, eight-year-old kid, I looked up to Edward Furlong at that time. So, uh, you know, being at the video store and seeing, I don't know if I'd seen a preview for it or what, but, you know, I saw Edward Furlong on the cover under the new releases, you know, with the, the fucking the static, you know, and he's thrown a remote and this big TV and it's like, oh, cool. A static TV, Edward Furlong, a horror movie. I'm in. And I don't know, you know, that, I'm imagining that that was like, it was definitely an Edward Furlong thing. We ended up running. I watched it uh, with my dad that night. And I think like, it was so weird because right from the beginning, um, that was the first time that like a score stuck out to me in a movie because the opening, like, theme it's like it's just a screaming guitar solo over this kid in a rainstorm and i just remember like that being so effective to me and like drawing me into the movie and then the reason that i was so obsessed with it as a kid and like i soon once i hit cinemax i had my dad tape it and i had it and would watch it all the time is um i hadn't at that point seen a movie that was like a character that i wished i could like be you know mm. besides besides maybe edward furling and terminator 2 so i could hang out with the terminator but now i was like this dude, he's a huge horror fan. He's got this huge dope house by himself. He's got all this cool technology and he's got this cool new video game that like he's a serial killer and he's like going to use his fucking, you know, serial killer, like, you know, his horror movie prowess. And he's got this best friend. He's got this hot chick next door is also into fucking metal and horror. And like the whole entire movie was like everybody's into metal and horror. And like, oh, there are characters like it's the first time I saw a movie like that, that had somebody that like I thought I wanted to be or I could be like, you know, and I was always like so jealous of this kid who lived in this huge house with yeah. all this horror all over the place. And like, so to me, that was like always, it just stuck to me. And then, you know, the imagery of that movie, like the POV shots, like I became obsessed with POV shots in that movie. That was my introduction to POV shots. Like, obviously, you know, you got Gaspar Noe and, you know, in Bliss and this, you guys, you know, the POV in the movie that I'm actually shooting right now, there's even more POV and it's like becoming a thing that I was became obsessed. with. I think that was my first introduction to it. And like the whole idea of Edward Furlong going through and like that fucking one, you know, quote unquote, one take murder was like, that was a movie that that was a scene that just felt so gnarly to me. And then waking up and like, I had this petrifying feeling when I was a kid, like, imagine if you killed somebody and like you didn't remember, like you didn't mean to, like you woke up and it's like, holy shit, I killed somebody else. So that was always this weird fear. And it influenced me. Also, I want to point out that John Flynn directed this movie, who also directed Rolling Thunder, one of my favorite revenge movies ever. So like the versatility of John Flynn and also Lock Up, which is a really great um, Stallone kind of uh, white knuckle prison movie. Um, he did a lot of like uh, kind of a low budget, but really, really tense blue collar walter hill-esque action movies early in his career and he went out with brain scan fucking love him and it was written by andrew kevin walker who wrote seven um right. and this was a wrote before seven for a video company uh, or once he had sold seven for a video company it sat and languished and then when seven became huge or was about to become huge they rushed this into production his original script was 150 pages and didn't have the trickster oh and i just I can see what that movie was like because uh like i was telling you guys earlier if i'm if also if i'm rambling here going on too long and you know uh kneeling at the yeah. altar feel free to cut me off but um <laughs> when i christmas bloody christmas 
when I made Christmas under Christmas, we had this guy there who uh, owned an art gallery and he was super into horror movies, actually was a fan of mine, crazily enough. Uh, and we just met, he lived on that main strip and he was like, I've got a 14 foot screen here, 4K projector. I do screenings every weekend. You should program some double features through your shoot on your day off, which I did. And I would make the crew come. And we started off with hardware and Terminator, like, all right, guys, here's what we're starting with. And then the next week was brain scan. And um, I forgot what else we watched, but it was brain scan. And everybody was like, what the fuck? Like, and it was so funny that everybody watched that movie for the first time there. And the entire crew had come from watching everything everywhere all at once at the theater together to the art gallery to watch brain scan. What a whiplash that. (laughs) Uh, And it was then watching it too. Like when I was really sucked into it, but I was like, I started thinking and it's like, man, it is true. If you took Trickstar to this movie, I liked him when I was a kid because he had that zany kind of serial killer feel. But like now looking back, it's definitely the weakest part of the movie. And it's just like, yeah, imagine how gnarly this would be if this whole movie was like his original script where there wasn't a trickster and he was just fucking murdering people and being sucked into the hole of murdering people. And that was the story because it's pretty fucking dark until the yeah. up, and then it takes a whole other like vibe and then he disappears and it's like dark again. And it's like you could tell they inserted it which you know now looking back it's like that's a weaker point of the movie but it's like fuck what would that have been like you know it's it's weird because i'm i was i was was watching this movie and this this was the first time i'd ever seen it i'd heard of it and i remember seeing the poster as a kid but i i had i've just have never seen it but i was watching this and i was like this reminds me of like taking an adult slasher and then slamming into it like drop dead fred or little monsters the the little invisible like monster under the bed uh what was his name i can't fred yeah movie from like the 80s it's fred savage yeah and i was like this it's it's such a weird uh juxtaposition of having like this incredibly dark material and then this very fey kind of creature at the middle of it it's it was uh it's a whiplash of a film for that yeah for sure but, you know, and I think maybe that's something I liked about it as a kid, too, like darkness, because like I said, the darkness, I'm like, oh, I got to just kill somebody. Then suddenly the trickster's here, Blair and Primus. And I'm like, yeah, trickster. <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of it like makes it almost in some way safer for a kid because, you know, there is that sort of like fantastical element to it that I, I think kind of, I don't know, maybe um, not dumbs down, but maybe mutes kind of the 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 actual horror of it in a way. So it felt like a a kids movie that also had a lot of fucks and shits and and bad language and and darkness. It was it was weird, which I guess is probably why I liked it so much when I was like. <laughs> well, and I also like how this movie is like the latchkey kid movie, but with a rich latchkey kid who has like a hat, like a huge house to himself and all, everything at his disposal. Because I feel like in a lot of like eighties and nineties movies. And especially those of us who grew up with parents who were working, like you were pretty familiar with like being by yourself quite a bit. And we see that in a lot of movies. But here, I think it's so interesting to see a latchkey kid, but like a really rich, privileged latchkey kid who's also very lonely. I mean, like his room is everything. He's got like that oh. weird giant tube with all the bubbles. He's got um what like is that a, I don't know how to describe it. It's like an Igor type figure on his computer screen that talks Siri, to him. Siri, 20 years before Siri existed. Like. Yes! <laughs> like, it's so bizarre, but it's got this, like, it almost reminded me a little bit of um, Dial Code Santa, which is that French mm-hmm. uh, Christmas movie with, like, a kid who sets home alone traps, but it's even crazier. And I just, it's interesting looking at, like, that loneliness and how this kid is without a parent at all. And he just, his dad is a voice on the phone. And, like, that's all he has. And he's just a kid navigating all of these things by himself with other kids. And yeah. I think that, to me, if I was a younger kid, 
and had watched this, I would have been scared. Cause I mean, like, again, even in horror movies, when there are parents, they're not helpful, but there is still a parent there. And here he is just a teenager on his own with like cops shooting at him. And it's just it, that in itself is scary. Just like the loneliness this kid is facing and what he's kind of expected to deal with by himself as a yeah. high school student. And the feel of it too. Like I love, I think, I don't know if it was shot in Seattle or Vancouver, but the entire movie is like overcast and rainy, which was something else, you know, yeah. you like that. It was one of the first movies where I realized how much atmosphere or like even weather can add to the aesthetic of a movie. Like, you know, all this stuff that like is so obvious as an adult, but like, you know, the certain things as a filmmaker or a film fan that like just stupid little things like that, that I kind of, you know, remember latching onto it or seeing it in a certain movie for the first time. Not that that's the only movie to ever do it. It's just like the one that like, oh, why is it so dreary all the time? Yeah. Why? trees with rain everywhere like this looks cool it's a place there's a sense of place here you know yeah yeah that's what I went to the POV shots that you talked about because that was something I noticed a lot in this movie that it's about like watching people because you have like him watching the girl next door and taking pictures of her and then she's also taking pictures of him and then we have like the voyeurism of watching horror movies and then we have the POV shot and I think I lo- I'm a huge found footage person so POV shots are always very exciting to me because I think it's so cool like those that that technique and so I was just really and Terry, I know that you, you were thinking about this too, about the idea of like, yeah, this is brain scan. It's kind of maybe a little bit silly, but there is some really interesting things going on about looking and how you look at people, uh, people look at you and how you're seen. And even with the trickster coming out of the TV, which is very like video drone, like the thing looking at you, the thing that you're looking at coming out at you is just really fascinating in brain scan. I was like thinking about that a lot while watching this today. Also, it's kind of ahead of its time, too, because it also has the idea of, like, you know, the world we live in now where everybody does so much behind a screen and, like, you know, like yes. you know, you're watching people, what they do behind a screen, you're interacting with people, you know, you can, you theoretically can hold somebody's life in your hand behind a fucking screen if you have the right, yeah. You know, at me so like and it's usually just a lonely person it's a lonely 16 year old white kid in his fucking big house behind a computer screen usually doing it so i guess you know it's time now that i'm saying it out loud uh, yeah. I, I took the right i took the right route i took the right lessons from brain scan and not the wrong <laughs> you know i would it's, it's weird watching movies uh as as an adult when you don't have any like context for it and so I'm watching this and I'm like, man, this is saying stuff about video games, too. And then I started to realize that, you know, this came out in 1994. And just like a year before, there was the uh, United States, the Senate hearings on video game violence because of Mortal Kombat and Night Trap. And like looking at the moral panic of like violence of in video games on youth. And so we're seeing this and it's it's kind of an interesting critique in that because like we have a kid who is very excited to play video games. And then when he's playing it, this is obviously not. A video game that we're experiencing it's it's real life and it's almost like kind of critiquing that like there is a difference between playing these games and then actively going out and and doing the crime and the murder and stuff and so there's that that element here that i think is kind of interesting considering that it again 1994 right after everyone is is wanting to ban video games and create a rating system and save the children yeah which you i mean you 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 probably live like I was younger when that happened, but yeah, I just, man, I can't even imagine, you know, people talk about censorship now and yeah, I like have these vague memories of like Mortal Kombat wanted to be, they wanted Mortal Kombat band. <laughs> like that seems so like <laughs> innocuous now. It really was. And I, I, I had specific memories of, well, Mortal Kombat begging my parents 
to let me play it on the Sega CD because I had a Sega CD and that was the big game. And I was like, I want to play it. And my parents were like, oh, no, you can't play that game. And then I managed to like whittle them down and play it. It's like you start playing it. It's it's, you know, it's very pixelated. And it's just it's it's so miles below what, you know, they do for video games now. But that one and then I remember sneaking Night Trap and and playing it, thinking I was watching something or playing something so like you know, uh, salacious. And it's, it's really just a, a B or worst grade movie that is, has a little bit of interactivity with it, but it's, I don't know. It was, it was a weird time to be a video game, like a young kid playing video games. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's funny you're saying that it's like, you feel dirty playing something. I I was, I got the very last end message of this, I guess, before the internet became huge, like as big as it does when I was like a really early teenager, but like the idea of finding something or doing something that you're not supposed to doesn't really exist anymore with the internet. Cause everybody can see everything right away. But I just remember like going to horror conventions and like tracking down the uncut version of high tension or like cannibal Holocaust before they were actually openly available or like, you know, finding these tapes at like my local thing that you couldn't find or, or yeah, like, and I think maybe that's also what appealed to me partly about brain scan, but like, just like the, there was such a mythic quality to certain things that doesn't exist mm-hmm. anymore because mm-hmm. of the internet that um, I did get a little taste of, but yeah, like I, if that, I wish that like that idea could have consumed a little more of my life because it's I, something I, so cool. I like, you know, how do we get, we can never get back to that place as much as I wish that we could. No. And that yeah. I honestly, it's like, you know, you think I was thinking I always whenever we're watching movies from a, from that time period, I always think back to how I would have been. Gosh, and that came out. I would have been, would have been 13 when when uh, Brain Scan came out and just thinking about like. You don't find things as easily as you like you were saying, Joe, that you that you do now where it's like if you find Night Trap out in the wild, it's like, oh, you got to you got to somehow buy that because now it's like it's everything's so readily available. And you're right. It does lose that mythic quality of of anything really the mystery the mystery is gone yeah it's weird but okay i also so yes i I agree that i think trickster is maybe the weakest part in terms of like the the movie but also i think the performance t Ryder smith's performance of of trickster is so deliciously camp and fun i think he's a great performer in this yeah his nails and his hair like he really just feels like a hair like a like an exaggerated hair metal troll or like a punk (laughs) troll that came out of your tv that like feels almost real but it's just a little bit too weird to like actually feel like it's like an uncanny feeling with the trickster a little bit yeah i think the studio directive was like well make him like freddy krueger but for the mtv kids (laughs) (laughs) oh my god he is kind of like freddy krueger for the mtv kids yeah Huh. So we're definitely going to make another franchise there. But it is funny, like, watch, like, thinking about it even more now after watching it. And, like, the parts with him, especially when he's, like, sitting on his bed eating food, like, putting ketchup. It, it feels very, like, E.T.-ish or, like, kid finds weird alien friend. And, look, they have a weird friendship now and, like, they're BFFs. And it does not fit the tone. Yeah, because then it seems like him brutally murdering his best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, I made you kill. Ha, ha, ha. And who pickles? Like, it's just so, it's such a tonal, like, he's, shift. Yeah. It's wild he's watching He's sitting it. in a bed eating a raw chicken. <laughs> it's like that that image. And then, yes, he's like, you need to kill your best friend. You need to kill this girl that you loved. You need to go kill. Like, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just wild. It's fascinating yeah. tonal shifts between that and him but you know you can't get everything right (laughs) (laughs) but i can imagine how this would be uh so did did you watch this a whole lot as a kid because i can imagine this being like if i had seen this as as a kid i would have been like this is the movie i'm going to keep watching yeah very very consistently i actually uh almost wore out my vhs maybe because i don't think a 
DVD even came out. So I was maybe like 18 or 19. Like uh, it was a while before a DVD came out. So I had, um, you know, I had my taped version off of Cinemax mm-hmm. and I actually tracked down a VHS somewhere. But yeah, this this in Pet Cemetery too. For some reason, it's weird. It's like yeah, dude, you know, I talk about th- these some of my favorite movies. It's funny, I was on like the Pure Cinema podcast and we started talking about Pet Cemetery and stuff like that. And it's like, and then we just like one of those long Edward Furlong conversations. Like yeah, I guess I just really liked Edward Furlong as a kid, but he also did make some really good movies, you know. And um, you know, the thing about Brain Scan that I like I was talking about earlier about like oh uh that that could be me or like I'm seeing somebody who likes all the same stuff that I do represented on screen. That's something that I always wanted to do in a movie. It was like, Oh, I want my character to be, to be like a horror movie fan and a metal fan who's in a horror movie. And this was the first time that Christmas, Christmas was the first time that like that made sense. You know, it didn't really make sense in the other movies, you know, like Dora uh, in bliss could have theoretically been probably wasn't a horror movies and stuff, but like just by the nature of the story, it didn't lend itself to like conversational items about that. Right. And, you know, I don't think I was a good enough writer in my first couple of movies. I was kind of just like, you know, action, 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 you know. Um, so like as I'm growing more, I've been looking for like a place to integrate those characters that I would want to see on screen and the way that I reacted to those characters. And this was the first time I I got to um, do that in a way that felt natural to the story and, you know, make that hangout movie, uh, make the characters interesting where I want to spend some time with them. And, you know, that was why I showed um the people up in uh, Placerville where we shot or like the whole crew, you know, um, that movie. I was like, well, this is why this is important to me. And this is kind of where like, you know, Riley, don't base your performance on Edward Furlong, but like, you know, this is kind of like why I'm attracted to this movie and why I like that. So that is, you know, in that regard, this was actually kind of a big influence on Christmas Bloody Christmas of just finally got to do that idea I've wanted to do in a movie that I've held since watching brain scan or why i was uh you know drawn to brain scan yeah what what did uh what did people think what did your crew and cast think when they saw brain scan i'm curious um they actually you know kind of like i was saying earlier and maybe they opened my eyes to it i don't know but they were just talking about how interesting and good and like really kind of dark and nasty everything was until the trickster came on screen and that really pulled them out of the movie um and yeah then i started to feel like oh you know me and all my friends who talk about this movie had watched it quite a bit and like starting at teenagers when we were teenagers um so we don't have like you know being an adult being 35 or 40 and watching the trickster for the first time it's like yeah that's yeah man i could see mine them somebody wouldn't really uh you know feel <laughs> well it was also kind of funny watching this movie because uh i i, I was getting there's there's that scene towards the end where they start to like merge into each other yeah. and like he you know opens up his jaw and is like swallowing uh the character and there's all that kind of imagery in it and i was like man this feels like uh a more you know kid e version of like daniel isn't real adam ancient orders movie which yeah, kind of deals to admit that he's a brain scan fan but i'm fucking calling him on it <laughs> <laughs> you know we talked to him and i wish i had seen this movie beforehand because i totally would have brought this up when it when definitely we to feels him. it definitely like very 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 similar vibes yeah yeah <laughs> But like, I know that effects are cheesy, but I did kind of love when he came out of the TV. Like, oh, again, it, it completely changes the vibe. It completely changes the tone. But I'm always impressed with movies like that, that have these like fascinating effects that, you know, they might not hold up in 2022, but they're still really like impressive looking for the 90s. And it's just like, again, it feels like it's a different movie, but wasn't expecting such like interesting effects work or at least like attempts at effects work with him coming out of television. I will say when he's, when, um, Edward Furlong stabs Trickster and the weird uh, CGI guts come and grab his hand. Not so great, but that's yeah. okay. 
Like lawnmower, lawnmower man level. Very yeah. lawnmower yes. man. Very. Well, I mean, like this could be an episode of Black Mirror. You know what I mean? Like, or like I feel like we've had similar episodes of Black Mirror. Like again, this is a another instance with the podcast where I'm seeing a movie that I feel like is so ahead of its time and predates a lot of things that we see even today in movies and in TV. It, it is really another really cool instance of being able to be like look how cool horror has been from the beginning and like look at all the stuff that the genre was doing before everyone else was thinking about it and i i love that i love having that experience in 2022 yeah it's for sure so terry is there anything else you want to cover with this or do we want to wrap this up and start giving this our rating out of five i think we've covered everything i wanted to talk about sweet okay terry yes how many tricksters out of five do you give brain scan Oh, it's 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 tricky. There's a there's a lot to this that I I I really enjoyed. It it definitely was like I was not expecting there to be so much weirdness with the the almost camp trickster character popping in. Uh so that that kind of threw me off, but I was I was kind of vibing with it and I, little side note t Ryder smith who played the trickster would go on to i don't know if, if either of you are bioshock fans but would go on to voice sander cohen from bioshock and that's that's pretty so wild. cool love that um bioshock. but yeah so i i think this this movie was uh a, a darker than i thought but also a little bit more safe than i thought like it, it has this weird balance because of the trickster character but i i had a great time with it honestly and um, I think I would probably give it uh, like three and a half, three and a half tricksters. I would say I'm cutting one of them in half. What about you, Mary Beth? I'll 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 help bring the other one whole and do three and a half as well. Um, I think I'm finally realizing that I have a crush on Edward Furlong um, <laughs> after seeing Terminator 2 and then this movie. Love finding these incredible younger actors who are in these these kinds of films. I again having never heard of it and getting it conflated with brain damage uh before mm. i started watching it i was very excited to see another take on a 90s video game movie i think i love i'm a video game person and i love watching video game adaptations of like movies of video games which aren't always great but i also love when horror plays with video games and the idea of video games and i this is another really cool early example i was glad to see and it is way darker and I wish more movies today put more kids in peril like this. I feel like 90s and 80s horror cinema really put kids in the shit in a way that I think was really scary. And I want to see more of that now, which sounds terrible that I'm seeing hurt more children in movies, but I stand by it. I think it's scary and who think it's, I don't think it should be as taboo as it is. Oh, and no, yeah, I'm lots of kids in movies. That's my <laughs> I'm just thinking of Christmas, Bloody Christmas. I... <laughs> Yes. Um, but yeah, so I think three and a half with brain scan. And then Joe, you have the final word. What is your rating out of five? How many fi- how many tricksters out of five do you give brain scan? Um, I feel like five is egregious, so I'll go four and a half. Okay. <laughs> Understandable. But if I was uh of the age of um my peers here who had seen it, I think I would maybe be closer to uh the 3.5 range um but i'll go with 4.5 because it's very very important to me <laughs> do you watch it all the time does it come up a lot in your viewing um, habits it's it's one of those movies and the reason i wanted to put it on um and show my crew is like i have a a handful of comfort movies that i watch when i'm shooting because like i'm just <sighs> so fucking my mind is running and it's like so i don't want to watch anything new and there's like movies that just make me feel good when i watch and that's definitely one of them um that i watch all the time i you know i have a, a rotating 
not a rotating, but it, pretty much every time I make a movie, I watch the same things. And then um, I don't make a movie every year as much as I want to. But even if I'm not making a movie, I'd say it's definitely a yearly watch and if i come across anybody who or become friendly with anybody who uh hasn't seen it you know i make uh, a screening an imperative mandatory uh social event in their near future so hell yeah hell yeah wait before we wrap up what are your some of your other comfort movies while you're shooting now i'm curious um Beavis, i watch beavis and butter like i have all the episodes of beavis and butter that i watch um i watch brain scan tales from the dark side the movie um i love the, that movie i'm it's <sighs> It's uh, I was actually close to picking it for this, but B was uh, for closer in the list. Uh, but Tales from the Dark Side is like my favorite anthology horror movie. And I say that as a massive fan of Creepshow. Um, Creepshow is only brought down because of the cockroach segment, which I think is OK. But when you have those first four, Tales from the Dark Side is like fucking banger after banger after it's banger. It's amazing. Routing. So like that's that's another one that I watch all the time. Uh, Boogie Nights. Um, I'll put on. Oh, movie. cool. Um, Phantom Thread has recently come into the fold just because it's oh. like a movie. Like it's I don't know. It's like a warm blanket that you put on <laughs> watching it. Um, and uh, that's that's the main the main group of movies that I'll put on. And just put them on. You know, I'm just, like laying in bed trying to go to sleep. Um, oh yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for joining us and um, talking about BrainScan and, and putting that out in the world. Where where can others find you? And are you able to talk about the film you're working on right now? The floor is yours to to plug away. Um, yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter. I'm not uh, super active on either one, but I'm poking around quite a bit. Um, and uh, the movie I'm working on, um, trying to make it short without um, getting too, you know, an over over explanation but i started making a movie before christmas um everybody was making covid movies like on zoom and you know on shit like that on phones and i was like well i want to make a covid movie you know i'm gonna you want to see a fucking covid movie i've got you know 16 camera packages all my crew and cast are my best friends i was like let's make a fucking covid movie in my apartment so um you know i have a cool looking apartment i have you know a lot of space in here so i wrote a movie that um was I was really happy with and wanted to spend my time making, but was so fucking overly complicated. Um, we were supposed to shoot for 30 days. We got to 50 days. Everybody started getting jobs again because COVID was like, you know, starting to clear up a little bit and Christmas got financed. So um, we shot a few more days and then I shelved it for a year because we had such a quick turnaround. And um, once we got back, I, uh, we started to get back into it again. I actually started shooting again the end of last week. Um, and we're shooting now, hopefully going to finish before the end of the year. But because of COVID um, and how ridiculously expensive SAG was, I star in it. Um, and it's a with uh, my buddy Matt Mercer who's in Christmas and he's in a couple of my other movies. Um, and it's really insane. It's like if Gaspar Noe made brain damage with a bit of fire in the sky. Oh, um, shit. Yeah, it's a really hard, hard psychedelic alien abduction movie with lots of gore. And uh, I play a cooked out filmmaker who's abducted by aliens over and over again. And my friend gets abducted by aliens over and over again. It becomes a psychotronic nightmare um, with lots of neon, animatronic aliens, explosions, NASA style astronauts, people coming out of paintings. Um, yeah. So as you can see, this, it became and we have a crew of like five because it's tiny in my apartment and we you know we don't have a lot of money to spend on it and uh so we're trugging along but we're almost there um but yeah it's gonna be fucking something oh <laughs> yeah but now oh, it's gonna, yeah. Like, we're gonna release it in like 2024 and be like well here's my covid movie <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm actually three different numerical calendar year ages so far across the movie because we started shooting in like, you know, it's height of COVID and now we're still shooting. So, the gap. so hopefully, uh, you know, when we cut it together, it's not like, why is Joe two years older in this shot? And then this was, <laughs> well, you know, I got a bunch of like nice face creams. I'm getting sleep. I'm like, all right, let's see if I can restore my face to two years Hydrate, ago. <laughs> keep drinking <laughs> water. Yeah, yeah, cut back on the drinking, um, <laughs> expensive face products. And uh, let's, uh, let's, let's hope for the fucking best. If not, let's shoot, we'll shoot a lot from the back. All right. And follow me around. <laughs> <laughs> Drop on that POV camera, man. The next scene you're going to Found footage now, and I'm the cameraman. <laughs> yeah, the opening scene is like this five minute unbroken shot, or like we did some trick photography, but let's a uh, POV enter the void style shot of uh, me getting abducted by aliens. I'm oh, watching, watching a horror movie, smoking weed, partying in my apartment after I just got a movie shit canned because, you know, and, and then everything, the lights start strobing, all the neons are fucking blasting out, and then I get ripped up to the ceiling, and there's fucking aliens. It's it's fucking insane. That scene alone took like four days to shoot, but I, it looks I like- want to see this right now. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that'll be done um, soon and we'll, uh, you know, be in the fest circuit in the spring or summer is my hope. I'm not going to yeah. finish this before I get another movie or else I'm going to be like, you know, a six year fucking age gap in the goddamn scene. So. It's like Linklater's boyhood, except with aliens <laughs> and weed. We'll see my age gap is it's a hallucination. I'm, you know, I'm seeing myself age throughout the film. <laughs> um, I love it. Okay. <laughs> the listeners you've heard from us, we want to hear from you. What was your experience with brain scan? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Kaylee Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at scarredpodcast. Oh, dude, don't... I didn't even know that that was you. I know your handle on Twitter. Uh, I didn't realize that was yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> 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 please uh send us a oh my god please don't forget to review rate and subscribe and if you want to help support us we're on patreon uh thank you to eric power for our artwork thank you to sean keller for our music thank you everyone for listening please stay safe out there but most importantly stay creepy and until next time powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.